0: Over the last several weeks, we've been in our B series where we've got a lot of different words that start with B, very originally named. Thank you. I came up with that all on my own. It didn't have to have any help to come up with B because they're B words. But it began with the question to be or not to be. And that famous question that comes out of Shakespeare's writing, we've taken and turned into something deeper. To be a follower of Jesus? Or not to be? What does it really mean to follow him, to be his disciple? And we've explored several aspects of that what it means to believe in Jesus. Our destiny is that we are to become like Jesus. Um, Ultimately, the end result for you and I, if we've placed our trust in Jesus Christ as, as a Savior, it's not heaven. Heaven is a beautiful reward because of God's presence and its beauty. But the destiny of you and I is to be transformed and become like Jesus Christ, to become what God created us to be. And incorporated into that is a belonging, belonging to him and to one another. And as we'll see today, also, we're given a mission, a call, to befriend others as Christ has befriended us. Each one of these are interconnected with one another but they all flow from one common source. We will never become more than what we believe. And the scripture tells us that belief comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Therefore, if we're to become more like Jesus, if we're to have our faith grow, if we wanna understand what it means to really belong, if we wanna know how to befriend, it all comes out of spending time in God's word. And so, one of the resources that we've, we've made available that I want to remind you of is we put together a little, um, a scripture exploration guide that goes through the major themes of scripture, and, and, and you can do it in less than, if you spend a few minutes each day, Monday through Friday, it'll take you a few months, but it's not a lot of time, but it'll give you a great overview of the scripture, of the story of God. And so we have some up here, if you haven't gotten one yet, they're online as well, and there's some out in the foyer. But I really want to encourage you. Coming to church, hearing a sermon, that is good and important. Worshiping the Lord together is absolutely essential. It's one of the great joys of life. But if you really want to see transformation happen in your life, immerse yourself in God's word. I promise you what he has to say is a thousand times more important than any sermon I could ever preach or any other preacher. Immerse yourself in his word and you will discover a God who loves you more than you imagined. You'll discover a hope that transcends the greatest storms of life. You'll discover a peace that goes with you always. You'll discover a purpose that you never knew you had. And it comes from God's love letter to you and to I. Well, today we're gonna, we're gonna look a little bit at that purpose, that call. And, and it begins with friendships. So I want you to think about friendships. What kind of friendships do you have? Do you have good, lasting friendships? Do you have more acquaintances? Do you have people that you really feel you can be open with? Or are you still looking for someone that you can be truly who you are in their presence. All of us long for friendship, and in our culture, there are a lot of different kinds of friendships or these things that we call friendship. For instance, you know we have digital friendships, okay? Online, social media, Facebook in particular—you get you—you you get friend or unfriended depending on what your political statement is of the of the day. Um, That seems to be the way it works. But digital friendships have, they can be fine as long as that's not the only dimension. But in and of themselves, they pretty much say, just don't get too close. You know, I want to control what information you receive about me. Now, I'm happy to scope out and find out anything about you, but I want to make sure I'm a little more guarded about what you know about me. Digital friendships in today's world of social media, um, has for some become the chief way to seep, to seek connection, and unfortunately, it often functions as a form of self validation as well. You see deep within us, we are desperately trying to cover shame we're definitely we, we desperately want to matter. we want to know that there's something about us that's important and, and so when we post something and it gets a lot of likes or gets some shares, it's affirming to us. If we post something and all it gets is criticism and or ignored, oftentimes we can go away from that feeling desperate and empty. Digital friendships are fine, but they only go so far. Another type of friendship that we have is a benefit friendship or a transactional friendship where basically it's I'm connected to you because, and you're connected to me because we have some kind of mutual benefit that comes out of it, whether that's in business or in interest. There's something about the relationship that benefits me. That's okay up until the point where you're no longer benefiting one another. Or where you disagree. Then there's one-dimensional friendships. And this is something that is where a lot of us are. It's, we have things in common. And it's a, a way to feel safe and reinforced about our beliefs, about ourselves. But when our worth is found only in those who agree with us, it leaves something lacking. And it isolates us a little bit more. It's quite natural to begin a friendship with what we have in common. But true friendship, authentic friendship, will grow deeper than the interests that we have in sports or in a career or in a hobby. Um, those friendships prioritize sameness. So views, convictions, and practices are seldom challenged. And the truth is, if we're to grow, we need some challenge. But then there are authentic friendships. And authentic friendships, unfortunately, are far more rare than what they should be, especially within the church. And they're rare because there's a risk that comes in authentic friendship. But ultimately, authentic friendship is a picture of unconditional love. It is a picture of God's love for us. True friends see themselves as long-term companions devoted and committed to one another. They believe in each other. They value their differences and the things that they have in common. They're concerned about serving one another and building each other up. Instead of keeping score to see who's ahead in the relationship, they seek ways to support, to forgive, to challenge and encourage each other. And oftentimes, over the course of your life, you will discover that some of your deepest true friendships will be with people who actually are different than you when you've made that commitment. C.S. Lewis captured the heart of this version of friendship when he said the following, to love at all is to be vulnerable Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. We will die in our selfishness. Jesus had authentic friendships. He has authentic friendships. And they cut across a wide variety of people. When you look at Jesus in the scripture, you see him interacting and forming friendships with those who are very religious, which we would think, yeah, that's his main crowd, but it really wasn't. Um, You see him interacting with some of the Pharisees and spiritual leaders like Nicodemus, who comes to him at night, and and they begin to form a relationship, or Joseph of Arimathea, who was likely on, on the council, again, a religious leader but you also see Jesus interacting with the people you wouldn't expect the Son of God to go and spend time with, one of which is what we heard about in our scripture today of, of Matthew or, or Levi. In the other Gospels, um, he is called, referred to as Levi, but his preferred name evidently was Matthew because that's how he calls himself in the Gospel of Matthew. He's a tax collector. He's despised by everyone. In fact, Matthew, because of his occupation, would not have been allowed to even go to the temple. He couldn't go to church. He would be an outcast because of the work that he did. And yet Jesus wants him to be his follower. Does that begin to tell you something about the heart of God for you and for me? It's not based upon our class. It's not based upon how good we look on the outside. He is interested in your heart. He's interested in having an authentic relationship with you. And that's the beautiful part that we come to here is to understand that Jesus has befriended you and I. He offers us a deep, authentic friendship with all of its facets, all of its joys and wonders. Listen to what he says in John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Your life should make a difference so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Now, from this passage, we discover some incredible things. Number one, Jesus is inviting us to be his friends. And he's saying, I've already chosen you. I'm already calling you. I want you in this relationship. I want you to be my friend. Now, you'll prove that you are my friend if you take the things that I say and you live them out, if you do what I command you, if you love others as I love you. That's the reflection of what happens in us being his friend as well. But it begins with an invitation where Jesus is saying how much he loves us. He invites us into his family, into his friendship, and into his work to join him in showing others what God is like so that they can find life in Christ and become a friend of God as well. That's why Jesus commands us to do this. This is to be the work of your life and my life as a follower of Jesus. The number one action, the number one command he has given to us is not to do religious things, is not to give money, It's not even to do good works. All those are good and important. What he commands us first is to love others like he loves us. To befriend others as he has befriended us. But oftentimes, the greatest barrier to loving others is the belief that we ourselves are unlovable. If you look deep in your heart, perhaps that's you today. You hear God loves you, but you don't feel lovable. Now, there's a certain aspect of that feeling, that emotion, that reflects a truth. None of us deserve God's love. We're sinners. We're losers. All of us. But he loves us anyway. He chose us and calls us to himself. Not because we earn it. Here's the amazing thing that that I I can never get over. God knows everything about you and I. Your deepest secret, my deepest secret. The greatest shame in your life, the greatest shame in my life, he knows every single detail, and he loves you anyway. Isn't that good news? He knows all about it. He knows all those times when you've turned your back on him. We, um, Becky and I went and saw Silence this week, and I'm not sure to recommend it or not recommend it, but it's a powerful movie. And, and in the movie, one of the characters that that most stood out is there's, there's this one guy who, be, who is their guide and I can't pronounce his name very well so I won't try it and he keeps betraying these, uh, the stories about some um, priests in Japan who um, go through an incredible time of persecution and this guy, he betrays them time after time after time and keeps coming back for confession. I related to him so much. It's like that's, Me. It's probably you also, but it was definitely me. It was definitely the man in the mirror for me. God loves us knowing all of our failures. You see, the problem is deep down, we don't feel lovable because of shame. The mirror of self shows our sin, and we know that there's something wrong But if we've come to Christ to be cleansed by his work, the guilt is taken away. God's word tells us Jesus nailed our sins to the cross. They are gone. Listen to this truth. And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, Colossians 2, 13 and 14, and and the uncircumcision of your flesh, meaning not set apart to God, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all, our trespasses. So how many of your sins has he forgiven? Okay, just make sure you got that. How many of your sins has he forgiven? Thank you. That's good. By um, canceling the record of the debt that stood against us and its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That is the great news of what Christ has done for us. He has done the work. We can't earn it but he has taken our sin and our shame. And here's here's the truth. Legally, the guilt is gone, but often the shame remains. It stains our souls and causes us to attempt to cover our shame because of unbelief. Because we don't really believe God loves us that much. But here's the truth. In Jesus, Our judgment day was moved from the future to the past. It is done. It is finished. When Jesus spoke those words from the cross, he pronounced all who would believe in him free, delivered, redeemed, cleansed, his own. But because of shame, We will often use anything, the way that we look, our status, our career, our family, humor, friendships, religion, sex, influence, our finances, to try to rewrite our story to make ourselves look better. We attempt to take the shame out of our stories and replace it with the things we depend upon to validate us. But it is a false premise Shame, whether it comes from the outside or within, has great power over us emotionally, but Jesus came to set us free. He canceled the record and invites us to come to him. When we begin to truly understand that, when we become wealthy, where our worth is in Christ Jesus, we lose the need to validate ourselves, to impress others with how good and great we are. Instead, we can rest fully in the one who has befriended us and be free to love others. Jesus calls all who believe in him his friends. And he has called us to show his friendship to others. So that's our third point. Jesus commands us to befriend others. We need to remember that the good news is a person. Sometimes we, we think about salvation in the terms of a plan and there are aspects of it that a plan will help us understand but ultimately it is found in a person, in a relationship and that's, where we want to, that's what we want to share. We want to share the love of Jesus with others. So befriending is not an option. We are to befriend others as Jesus has already reached out to you. But befriending is If we're to be like Jesus, it's going to be sacrificial. Jesus' friendship cost him his life. He died on a cross out of friendship, out of love for you. And he commands us in his word to befriend not only those that we like, not only those that we admire, but those who are our enemies and those that we despise. We are to befriend the person whose life choices are in opposition to what we believe and we are to love the self-righteous judge as well. The truth is both of them are hurting. When a person is judgmental and holier than thou, it's because they have not found their worth in Jesus Christ. They're trying to... um, to proclaim their worth in their judgment. That's why judging is something that is dangerous. Discernment is different, but when we judge others, it is dangerous territory. We are to be kind to everyone that we meet because the truth is they are fighting a hidden battle. Hurting people often hurt other people. They will lash out. And we can remember that It will help us to love more like Jesus Christ, to remember that underneath there is something deeper going on. In Luke chapter 7, verse 34, we have this statement from Jesus himself. He's doing a comparison to the ministry of John the Baptist and his own ministry, and he's been. hearing criticism that comes from the religious leaders of his day, and they criticize John the Baptist because he fasted and he was set apart and did things totally different, and they criticize Jesus because, well, let's let's listen to his own words. The son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. What Jesus is saying, you have to understand that the reason why I come in this way is because it is God's pleasure and purpose to bring those who are separated from him into a relationship with him. He came to seek and to save the lost. That's us. He didn't come, as we heard in Matthew, um, to, for the righteous, because there aren't any. He came for the sinner, you and I. These are Jesus' own words, and, and that's what we see lived out. He earned this reputation beginning with the call of Matthew. So let's look at it again. And as you hear this, you need to understand the setting. In Matthew chapter 9, verses uh, 9 through 13, in, in the days of Jesus, Oftentimes, meals would have happened in the house in a courtyard. And the courtyard area would provide a lot of space so that you could have large banquets, but it also provided an open area where anybody who was walking by or any of the public could actually join in and hear the discussion of the day. Now understand, they didn't sit down at their televisions or their computers or go to the movie theater, so the greatest entertainment in town was whoever was having a banquet, There would be entertainment there, perhaps. There would be interesting discussions. It's where you would go to hang out. Now, that sounds weird to us because, you know, you think like having balconies around your, your dinner table and people are all watching to see what you do, but that's what it was like. There's a whole courtyard of people peering in to see what's happening at Matthew's house. And what they see is this rabbi, Jesus, who's done incredible miracles and who's whose teaching is amazing. It comes from something deep and it's filled with wisdom and yet, contrary to everything that they expect, he's socializing with the people who are the outcasts. That's the setting. And everybody's there watching it, including the religious leaders. It's the the only show in town on this particular day. Matthew 9, 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Now, we read that, and, and if we just blow past it, you are going to miss incredible things that we're going to try to unpack here in a few moments, because that little statement, what, what happens here, is absolutely earth-shattering, especially for Matthew, As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. It was a party. Lots of people came in. And when the Pharisees saw this, so they're outside looking in, right? Okay, they're watching. They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire Murray. I'm sorry, Murray. I desire mercy, and not sacrifice. If your name is Murray, he desires you too. So you just go with that one. I desire mercy, and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, this passage sets a pattern for us as well, because he has called us to befriend others in the same way not because we deserve or they deserve God's friendship, but because he offers it. So how do we get there? How do we become like Jesus? How do we love others? How do we befriend others like Jesus? Well, first of all, our love must become a person to us before it is an action. That means it begins in our heart attitude that we have to determine that we want to be like Jesus Christ and we want to love others as he does. That means we have to value others in the same way that Jesus does. Love is a person first before it's an action. That means we need to see the person before we see what they do. Oftentimes, what you see identified here in this passage is the Pharisees, they saw the acts Of these people. They saw the career of the tax collectors and they were despised because they were known to be cheats. It was their responsibility to collect the taxes for the Roman government. And Israel at this day is enslaved by the Roman government. So they're paying taxes to the ones who own them as slaves. They're not getting benefit back from it. I suppose there's some small benefit in that their roads are being improved. But in general, it's not like what most of our countries would have where the taxes that you pay, to some degree, benefit the whole. The taxes that they paid benefited Rome and benefited the tax collectors because they would add however much they could get away with on top. That's why they were despised by the people. You couldn't get any lower socially than to be a tax collector. It was the bottom Of the heap. In fact, it wasn't the bottom of the list. They were scratched off the list. Okay? They would never be invited to anything that decent people would have. But that's where Jesus goes. So love must be a person to us before it becomes an action. And we see this in beginning in verse 9 as Jesus passed, Jesus was intentionally seeking out friends. He was proactive. He went to them. He was seeking and he took an initiative. You see, what we see here first is Jesus' lifestyle was a mission. He wasn't just concerned about getting from A to B. He was always looking for who the Father was drawing to his heart. He was looking for the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of others. He was looking for people. That's what we need to do as well. We need to have that kind of attitude, that kind of prayer. God, show me someone today that you want me to have an interaction with. That's the first step to befriending like Jesus. Secondly, to befriend like Jesus, we must see others with his eyes. And I love this this simple phrase. In verse 9, he saw a man called Matthew. Now here's what's powerful it doesn't say he saw a tax collector called Matthew. It says he saw a man. He saw someone created in the image of God who has a reflection of the imago Dei, God's likeness still in him, even though he's a sinner and maybe is as far away from God as you can get. That's not what he saw first. He didn't see his occupation. He saw Someone made, created in the image of God who has value. That's what we have to see. And we need to ask the Lord to give us eyes like Jesus to see others in that way. The truth is, most of us, including myself, have cataracts of judgment that cloud our eyes that he needs to remove from our eyes so that we can see others as Jesus sees them, to see their worth and their value. Thirdly, to befriend like Jesus, we need to eat with and welcome others. When you read through the New Testament, you discover that much of Jesus' ministry happened at meals. There's, there's something about having a meal together that makes it common ground that gives an opportunity for you to share as as equals with one another and to take an interest because you're sharing in a common need. We all need food. And you're sharing in a common enjoyment both in the the wonders of what you're eating and in the conversation that takes place. It's it's interesting because there's something um, that takes down our guard when we share a meal together. There's a different expectation than just having a conversation. And all through the New Testament, we see Jesus doing ministry at meals. Meals were not just about food. It was about sharing in something deeper. And honestly, I believe that one of the things that is, that is missing in the church today and missing in my own heart and life It's the practice of truly forming friendships and having meals together, both with believers and unbelievers. In the early church, this was a regular part of worship. It It wasn't just something that they did occasionally. It was regular. When you read in Acts chapter two, the practices of the church, one of those was breaking bread together. And yes, it refers to communion to the Lord's Supper, but it referred to more than that. And the practice of the early church up until the time of Constantine when um, Christianity became the official religion of Rome, it was the practice of the early church to have agape or love feasts. Now, those got out of hand. We read about that in 1 Corinthians and and some bad things were happening, but they were the time when a lot of people would come in and connect because it was open, just like this courtyard was open to, to the outsiders, so was the love feast. They would share meals together and it was often in that context that people began to see Jesus Christ for who he really is. The church, to a large degree, stopped doing that until, this is an interesting side note, I'm gonna chase a rabbit because it has, has an interesting connection to where we are. The practice of the love feast was renewed by the Moravians. Under Count Zinzendorf, he was reading through the scripture and the people were together and they they wanted to stay together and so he, he, he sent food down from his kitchen and 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 as he sent the food and the people began to, to enjoy with, with one another the food, the Holy Spirit prompted him and reminded him of the early church and it became a practice of the Moravians that they did both here in Europe and later when they sent their missions to the United States, they would practice in open love feasts, inviting whoever would come to be a part. Now, one of the dreams we had with the Bridge Center, one of the reasons why we looked for a place where there could be a great kitchen, was so that we can restore that practice to begin to have meals together. And starting next month, we're going we're to have, um, we'll send you some more information. We're going to have some meals, some feasts. The Thanksgiving meal, how many of you were at Thanksgiving? That, wasn't that awesome? I mean, other than football, because it was the Detroit Lions. Other than that, it was fantastic. I'm just, I'm sorry, Stephen. I love you, brother. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They did win. So, but it was just a great time. There wasn't a program, but there was great fellowship. And we need to do that. And in my heart, my my dream is that God will allow us to use meals together to love one another, to grow with one another, to reach out to other people. I mean, imagine it. What if we were to have, we have so many treasures within this church because of our different cultures. You know, I would love to taste Ethiopian food. I would love, you know, to get an idea from from Daniel and Frey. Okay, what's a great Ethiopian dish? How can we make that and share that with people so we get a taste of your homeland? Or I really like Indonesian food, okay? Same kind of thing with that. Or maybe it's, I mean, it doesn't matter where it comes from, but this is opportunities for us to grow, but also to be able to reach out and invite people in. That's what was happening here. And I believe that whether it's a feast together as a large body or whether it's us as individuals, we need to make a practice of eating with one another and eating with those who do not yet know Christ because that is oftentimes where the greatest conversations will happen. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing and I believe God would have us do more of it. To befriend like Jesus, also, we need to make a practice of giving grace to others. And this is incredibly significant. Jesus not only saw potential in Matthew, he actively gave grace out to him and to others. He gave him what he didn't deserve. He gave us what we didn't deserve. Matthew didn't have any religious training, Because of his work, he couldn't even go to the temple. He was an outcast from Jewish society. There is no way that a reputable rabbi would want Matthew as his student. And the first thing that he says to him is, Matthew, come and follow me. Now put your name there. Because that's what Jesus is inviting you He's calling you by name and saying, would you come and follow me? Would you come and learn of me? Discover who I am because I desire you. Not because you deserve it, but because this is who I am. This is my heart. And we need to understand the power of grace. In Romans chapter two, verse four the Apostle Paul gives us this truth. He says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, speaking of God, not knowing that God's kindness, and the word is, is charis, it's also a form of grace, is meant to lead you to repentance. Repentance does not lead you to grace. That places it upon us. God's grace leads us to Repentance. This is why we see when Jesus came to show us the Father, in John chapter one, it says that he was full of two things, grace and truth. He was full of grace and grace comes first because that is God reaching out to us and then in the midst of his reaching out to us, he reveals truth that can transform us. We see this in his practice when he's with the woman who is caught in adultery. And he says to her, He asked her, where are those who condemn you? And he says, they're gone. Because he said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And Jesus' words to the woman caught in adultery were twofold. Number one, neither do I condemn you, grace. Number two, go and sin no more, truth. But it starts with grace. And here's here's why it's so important. Giving grace to others is powerful. Jesus spoke and acted with grace. He didn't give them what they deserved, he gave them the love that their hearts long for. So we have to determine to always speak and act with grace towards others, and here's why. This is a a truth you need to remember. The weapon that God has crafted to cut through the pride of the human heart that stands in opposition to him is grace. Grace defeats pride because it brings us to the point of recognizing that we are desperate, we do not deserve it, and that breaks our pride. God, in all his wisdom, used this incredible gift to break through the walls that keep us from him, the walls of our pride. And when we respond and give grace to others in the same way, God can use our life as an instrument to break through pride where his Holy Spirit can work in a way that draws them to the truth. So we are to give grace as well. That's why it's one of the values that we have as a church to love God, to live truth, to make sure that we're living out and becoming who God calls us to be and to give grace to others. Well, finally, on this, to befriend like Jesus, we must have his motivation. In the last part in verses 12 and 13, when he's asked this question, why does your teacher, why do the, the, the disciples ask the teacher, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus gives the answer. He said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Pharisees ask why, and Jesus tells them. And in telling them, he quotes from the book of Hosea, chapter six, verse six. And here's here's how it reads in Hosea. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. What he's saying is, you're looking at it from the outside, looking for rituals and people to conform to those. I'm looking to show love and have people come to a true knowledge of who I am. That's why I give grace, is because it will lead to repentance and transformation in their life. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to befriend others as Christ has befriended us. And here's the thing. God is gonna use you. This is the one thing I want you to take away. If you forget everything else, I rambled around saying, take away this. God has called you and has placed you strategically in places and relationships where he wants to use you to befriend others in such a way that they will come to faith in Christ. And not only will they, But other people, there'll be a chain of events that you will never know of strangers whose lives are transformed when we choose to be obedient to what God calls us to do because he has commanded us to love others as he loves us. To bring that point home, I wanna show you a little video and this is gonna be the the final point and then um, after the video, we're we're gonna worship together. But I want you to get a glimpse from this video called Strangers of what God can do in and through your life if you say, Lord, that's what I wanna do. I wanna befriend others like you. Let's play the clip.
1: This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet, oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college, she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked, and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James, who was influenced by Thomas. Thomas, on uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met. Never will.
0: God calls you first and foremost to know Him as His friend. And if you've never done that, if you don't know Him in that way and you have questions about it, I want to invite you um, after the song, we'll. The prayer area will be open over here, and you can come and ask questions of myself or one of our intercessors. We'd love to be able to share more about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. For the rest of us, those who already know him, would you ask the Lord to open up your heart to see how he wants to use you to share the greatest news in all of the universe, to touch other people's lives, with the hope that we find in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving your son. Thank you for the love that you have for us. Thank you for befriending us, Lord Jesus. And now, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit and based upon the truth of your word, would you empower us to become your hands, your feet, your voice in befriending others so that many may know a God who has reached down, who has entered into the brokenness of our world, who bore our sins on a cross, paying the price to set us free so that we could become your friends. Oh, Lord, let that truth sink deep into our hearts and change us, we pray.